Thank you. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the passage that Hazel read to us from Matthew chapter 5 and the first, uh, first half of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, really, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 3 to 12, where I'm calling it, Disciples are Blessed. In the year that I was born... 1959. The Baptist pastor in Romania, Richard Vernbrand, who was then 50 years old, started his second term in prison in Romania. Ten years before that, in 1949, when he was 40, he was sent to prison for eight years. His wife was a slave laborer as a punishment for three of those years. She had to dig canals along the Danube for three years. Richard Wormbrand himself spent three years in solitary confinement and then five years in a mass cell. And in 1957, he was released. In 1959, he was rearrested. They were rearrested. He was sentenced to 25 years in prison. His crime, preaching the gospel. But that wasn't their worst suffering. When they were arrested, their nine-year-old son had to fend for himself. It was a crime to help the families of prisoners. But two Christian ladies helped their son. His name was Michai. But because they were helping this nine-year-old boy, they were arrested and they were beaten so viciously that 15 years later they were still both crippled. After that, another lady risked her life by taking Michai into her home. She was arrested, her teeth kicked out, her bones broken, and she was sentenced to eight years in prison for helping a nine-year-old boy whose mum and dad were in prison for preaching the gospel. Some people say, if you're a Christian, it's easy. It's Candy floss and ice cream and a party all the way to heaven. No problems. That wasn't what the Apostle Paul said. Himself having gone from prison to beatings to shipwrecks to being robbed to being hungry to being beaten again and then having so much hostility from people, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, that if there's no resurrection, no heaven to come, then we are of all the people in the world most miserable, most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection. But we do have a guaranteed resurrection life. And also, in the meantime, 
in the midst of our circumstances, we still have the Spirit of God, the life of God, in our own souls. So the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, was dragged before Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, um, the king, and before all the dignities, they thought, well, bring this apostle out of prison and let, let's listen to what he has to say. And the apostle Paul, still wearing his chains, was dragged into, see all this pomp and wealth of, of the royalty. And you can imagine him there with his sore eyes blinking in the light and, and, and his probably throat sore from prison cough and his hands and his uh, his wrists and his ankles chafing with the chains. And he looks at King Herod and he says, Herod, I wish that you could have what I've got except for these chains. You know, what I've got is so fantastic that even though I have beatings and imprisonments and hunger and poverty, I've got something that is so fantastic that you poor king, with all your wealth, haven't got a clue about it. I wish that you were as I am, except for these chains. It's dramatic, isn't it? Have we understood the privilege of being a Christian? Look at what Jesus says here in verses uh, 3 to uh, 11. He, he says that all God's people are blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. And Jesus repeated over and over and over again. These people are blessed. Blessed are. Blessed are. Blessed are. Not they might be. Or, or a few of them are. Or for a few minutes in your lifetime you might be. But no, you are blessed. <laughs> Not only are you blessed... But they are, and only they, are blessed. When, when Jesus uses this word, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That, that word theirs, or, or they, in, in Greek, it's emphatic. It means they and only they. Only you people are blessed. Do you see, feel sorry for these Christians? These Christians with their pathetic lifestyle. I mean on a Sunday when they could be going, walking over Chatsworth and enjoying a picnic in the lovely uh, spring afternoon. The, these Christians who, who put 10% of their giving in the offering box to the church and then probably give another 10% away to other needy causes where they could be saving that for their holiday fund and going to Barbados every year. And instead they're putting it in the offering box, lowering their standard of living. And then these boring old Christians who are not going out night clubbing and, uh, and heavy drinking at the weekend. No, they just stay at home. They don't sleep around. They don't have multiple partners. They don't think of sex as just fun. No, they stay in marriage. They don't blow their money gambling. Ha, these poor Christians. That's what, that's what the world thinks. 
No, says Jesus. They and only they are blessed. Now, as we learned this morning, it doesn't mean rich. I remember hearing a um, testimony of a, um, a merchant banker from London, incredibly wealthy person, and he went into a large church in London, and he was there, and the minister said, he says, I have a word from the Lord. God wants you all to drive Ferraris. He walked out. He said, I've got a Ferrari. I don't want a Ferrari. I want peace with God. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want hope. And that's what God gives us, something that money can't buy, something that the world can't give. So God's people are blessed. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, first of all, the word means fortunate. So when the Apostle Paul was speaking before Herod Agrippa, he says, I feel blessed to be able to speak to you. He said, I feel fortunate to be able to speak to you. And we are fortunate because God works in all things for our good. But it doesn't only mean fortunate. The word blessed, as we learned this morning, also means happy. And you can read loads and loads of books on the Beatitudes. They're called things like this. How to be happy, or the secret of happiness, or the happy life. Total consecration is wonderfully joyful. This is not Richard Wormbrand, all right? Richard Wormbrand was the guy at the beginning. And if you go on YouTube, you can see a, a video, it's black and white, of Richard Wormbrand when he was about uh, 80, and he takes you back into the prison cell that he spent three years in solitary confinement in, in Romania, and he tells you how the presence of God was so real to him in that prison cell that every night he would, and he shows how he, he would dance for joy in his solitary confinement. It is amazing. You cannot explain this. This is spiritual joy. It's not that kind of happiness that depends upon what happens to you, but this is spiritual joy that doesn't depend on what happens to you, depends upon God. Blessed. But there's a spiritual meaning to blessed as well. Uh, and this is that the curse is removed. You remember when God created the world and God blessed the Sabbath day and God blessed Adam and then sin came in and the curse came and everything was cursed. So Death came into the world, separation from God, suffering and sickness and broken relationships. We, we find suddenly all these relationships being broken, not just a relationship between man and God, but between man and wife, man and creation, and then uh, brother and sister, and the whole of society is fracturing. That's the curse. But then you remember God spoke to, Adam, uh, to Abraham and said that God was going to make Abraham... Through Abraham, God was going to bless many nations. And then Jesus Christ came. And when he was upon the cross, it was as if he took hold of that cup of the curse. And he drank all the curse of God. And then he filled it with blessing and gives it to us. 
He took the curse away. He was separated from God. He endured the pain and suffering. He endured broken relationships as he was rejected by people. And he gives us this blessing of fellowship with God and of being citizens of the new heaven and earth and of reconciliation not only with God but even with our enemies. We're not slipping through life just slipping down to hell. We're not slaves to sin, just being forced to live evil lives. We're not seeking artificial uh, blessedness from drugs or sex or, or, or riches. We are blessed by God. Herod, King Herod Agrippa, says, Paul, I wish that you had what I've got. I don't have the riches, I've got the blessing of God. Secondly, all God's people have supernatural life. You see, Jesus doesn't say, you must be like this. You've got to be poor in spirit to get into the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say you've got to be poor in spirit to stay in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that. What he says is that you are like this. God's people really are like this. This. This is what God's Spirit makes you supernaturally. Um, when you turned to Jesus Christ from your sin, when you trusted in Jesus Christ and started following Jesus Christ, then, then the, your sin was forgiven, the curse was removed, but the life of God has been poured into you, and now you are living a supernatural life. Now, you're not perfect, <laughs> I don't think. Have a good look around. Anyone perfect here? Caroline, almost Caroline. <laughs> but, but you see, we're not perfect, but we are alive. See, a little baby. It's alive. Very much alive, but it can't walk, it can't talk, can't read, can't write. It's alive, but it's got a lot of developing to do. And we are Alive. These things are true of us, but they've got to develop. First of all, then, poor in spirit. This is what you are like supernaturally. This is what God makes you. You are poor in spirit. I would like to spend all this evening preaching on those three words and all the next ten sermons because it's so important. Because Christianity rejects the permissive society and it rejects Phariseeism. And in chapter 5, Jesus is going to talk about how we have a better life than the permissive society. And here, he's saying how we have a better life than the Pharisees, because the Pharisees think that they've got to be full of themselves. They are, well, they dress better than other people, and they, they pray better than other people, and they give better than other people and they know better than other people and they just are better than other people but when God's spirit takes hold of you you are conscious that you are in the presence of God just like dirty dust and ashes and in us is no good thing says the Apostle Paul. We're the chief of sinners. We, we, we're not full of who we are. We know that we deserve hell, but we're full of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and that we're hiding in him. And we, we don't boast about anything in us because we know that all we've got is guilt and sin. We've got to be 
humble. Roger Carswell, I was speaking to him a few years ago, and I said, what book would you suggest I read? He said, the best book I've ever read is, and it's called Extreme Righteousness. And it's a book all about Pharisees and how evangelicals are the closest to Pharisees. And I read it, and I was so challenged by it. Because as evangelicals, we, we try to think that we are living better, we're doing better, we're praying better, we're reading the Bible better, we're just pleasing God better, we're just better people. And actually, God's Spirit doesn't make us Pharisees. It makes us poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Next is mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, when you are poor in spirit and you realize that you are nothing, spiritually nothing, apart from Christ, hell is what you deserve and where you'll end up. When you realize you are spiritually nothing, what do you do? You mourn for your sin. Oh, that I was more holy. We never pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm more holy. We mourn that we're not more holy. And then meek. Do you know what it means to be meek? You know the story of the man and his wife who went into church and um, the man got down on his knees to pray and he said, Lord, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And then he hears his wife saying, yes, Lord, he is. No, I'm not. <laughs> you see, meek is when we admit that we are mourning for our sin, that we wish we were different to what we are. We recognize we're poor in spirit. We mourn for it. And we don't pretend we aren't. We are meek. We are humble. The word for meek is of a, a horse, that is a powerful horse, but it's broken in. It's not throwing its weight around. It's gentle. And then we can go on very, very quickly. What comes next? Hunger and thirsting after righteousness. Righteousness is not just right behavior. Righteousness is right behavior in the right relationship. Let me explain this to you. A man has married a very pretty girl. And he gives her a great big kiss. That is right. And now for me to go up to her and give her a great big kiss is wrong, all right? That's not acceptable. Because it's right behavior in the right relationship. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness is that we live the right behavior in the right relationship with God. What's next? Merciful. You know what? Here's the good Samaritan showing mercy on the, uh, the man who's fallen amongst the thieves. Mercy, being merciful, two things about it. Number one, it's giving help to the needy. So actually there are people there and you take their burdens and make their burdens your own to help them. So you're giving to the needy. And it's also forgiving those who've offended you. So you don't get bitter and angry and hostile and judgmental, but no, you're merciful. 
You overlook faults. You forgive them. If you have received God's mercy, it is impossible for you not to show mercy. It is impossible for you to have come to the cross of Calvary as someone who's poor in spirit and mourned for your sin and received mercy. It is now impossible for you not to show mercy because the mercy that you have received flows into you and flows through you. And so Jesus can say, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy on the day of judgment. Those who show mercy will, those who show mercy now will be shown mercy then because God's mercy that's flowing through them now shows that they will be shown mercy then. Merciful, what comes next? Pure in heart. Now this is interesting because we think to be pure in heart means to have a clean heart, don't we? Not a dirty heart. But that's not the picture here. The word Jesus uses is of a single heart. So it's not a you know, divided heart into lots of different loyalties. It's just pure, just single-minded. In, in Jesus' day, the Romans, they worshipped lots and lots of gods. And he says, no, you're living just for the one true God. So it means to be pure in heart, single-minded, focused on God. And then peacemakers, we want people to have peace with God and to be at peace with each other. And finally, that fits so well with Marion's testimony, persecuted because of righteousness. You will find, if you follow Jesus Christ, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you show mercy, if you have this single-minded heart, if you're a peacemaker, then people will persecute you. You will find that when you are in the office, and it's the office party at Christmas time, and they're all going to the strip club, and you say no, they turn against you. You will find that when they're all bad-mouthing the boss and you won't join in, they turn against you. You will find that when the boss wants you to fiddle your finances and you won't do it, he turns against you. Simply because you are following Jesus Christ. You're not going their way. They are against you. And that hostility, as the devil works more and more in society, and society becomes more and more godless, that persecution gets greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. But that's what they did to Jesus. And that's what they'll do to us. You are like this really, and you are not like this naturally. This doesn't happen because you have a nice personality. This doesn't happen because you had a good upbringing. This is only because you have the life of God in your own soul. Now, it's one of these things that happens naturally, but also you have to do it. It's a bit like love, right? In, in the Bible, as you read love, is love a command to be obeyed? Yes. Is love a fruit of the Spirit that just grows? Yes. Well, which is it? Is it something that God produces in you or something that you have to do? And the answer is yes. <laughs> and it's the same with these things. It's what's called divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's a bit like this. Imagine you've broken your leg. 
And there you are, you've had your leg in plaster, and you've been told not to walk on it. Time has gone, taken the plaster off, and the doctor says, now your leg is healed, you can walk. So while you sit down and watch telly, your legs just go for a walk around the room. Is that what happens? <laughs> of course not. You have to do it. You can do it now, and you have to do it. And it's exactly the same. God's supernatural power means you can do it. And God's command means you must do it. Let's move on very quickly. Secondly, that was all God's people have supernatural life. And thirdly, all God's people have a wonderful hope. Did you notice this? Blessed, yes. But not in the new heavens and the earth yet. So if you look at verses 3 and 10... You see that you are in the kingdom of God now. This is the brackets. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You, you, yours is the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus is your king. But between those two verses, all the other blessings, verses 4 to 9, are future Blessed are those who mourn, not because theirs is, but theirs will be. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and the earth. These things will be true of us. Here and now, we are in the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. But all these other blessings are for the future. We will see God. We will be called sons of God. We will be joint heirs with God. So many of these. It, it, it's wonderful. And finally, we rejoice now. Jesus brings it right back to us in a troubled world. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you. And Richard Wormbrand illustrates this. You can read his books, look him up on YouTube, watch him dancing in his prison cell. You know, when you get verbal opposition, when people slander you, when people lie about you, when people falsely accuse you, you know, you will do what is right. You will do what is good, and people will come and accuse you of doing what's wrong. And it hurts. And you've got to rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, and great is your company, because you are joined with the prophets and with Jesus Christ, who were treated just like that. So don't lick your wounds. Don't have a pity party. But try to be like the Apostle Paul and Silas when they were in prison. Let's learn to rejoice and be glad. So when we are dragged before King Agrippa and we're in chains and we're hungry and we're suffering, we can say, if only you knew what I've got. But you can only say, if only you knew what I've got. If number one, you've got it. And number two, you understand what you've got. First of all, make sure you've got it. We have to be those who belong to the kingdom of God. Will you enter 
the kingdom of God. How? Well, you recognize that Jesus is king. And so you submit to him as your king. You realize that Jesus is the priest who deals with your sin. And so you come to him in repentance and ask him to wash you clean. And you realize that Jesus is the prophet who teaches the way to go. And so you come to him and say, I'm going to follow you. And then when he is your king, your priest, and your prophet, and he is over you, then you are one of his people and in his kingdom. And I think, I think I can see a door. It's a door to the kingdom of God. And it's open. And I can hear people calling you, saying, come in, come in. Don't just stay where you are. Don't be, don't put your fingers in your ears. Don't run away. Come in. You can hear the Apostle Paul saying, I wish even the kings could have what I've got. I hear Jesus saying, blessed are these. The door's open. Come in. Let's turn to him right now. Let's pray.